This is the AAOS Advocacy Podcast, part of the Bone Beat Orthopedic Podcast channel. This series features important conversations on health policy issues, as well as advocacy efforts to advance access and quality to musculoskeletal health care. Be sure to tune in on the third Tuesday of every month for our regular program. I'm your host, Doug Lundy, chair of the AAOS Advocacy Council. The episode that you are about to hear was actually recorded in person inside our podcast booth at the 2021 annual meeting. We had the idea for the conversation, jumped on the mic, and recorded not knowing if or when it would air. Now, today, as we are less than a week out from the largest meeting of the orthopedic community in North America, the AAOS annual meeting is a not-to-miss event, which also happens to take place over International Women's Day. There is no more perfect time to reignite an important conversation about the power of women in the orthopedic advocacy space. The discussion about equity and gender within orthopedics continues on the next episode of the AOS Career Podcast, where we invite Dr. Kristen Russo from the Ruth Jackson Orthopedic Society to share her perspective. I hope that y'all will enjoy this episode. Lean into the career show for episode 18, and I look forward to seeing y'all in Las Vegas. It is my pleasure and honor at the annual meeting here in 2021 in sunny San Diego, California, to be talking to my friend, Dr. Claudette Lejeune, who's a total joint arthroplasty surgeon at NYU, here on the Advocacy Bone Beat, about the research investment to spark the economy, also known as the RISE Act. Thank you once again, Claudette. We've been friends for a very long time. We've spent a significant amount of time together on Capitol Hill and doing political advocacy. So, Claudette, we all know, painfully so, that there is a significant underrepresentation of women in orthopedic surgery. And there's been a lot of discussion about why this is, how we can improve this. Having said that, it seems to me just anecdotally that many of the women that I know in orthopedic surgery tend to really be involved. We have no choice, Doug. (laughs) When there's only a few of you, you need to do the work of the many. And it's wonderful that we have so many very engaged members who are women and underrepresented minorities in our Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons and some of our specialty societies. And it's important for those women to recognize the value of all elements of what the Academy has to offer, including advocacy. And it's interesting because when women are asked about advocacy, a lot of them shy away from it. And I think a lot of it has to do with just not understanding the basics of it because we didn't go to law school. We went to medical school and that's why we went to medical school for a reason. This wasn't as interesting to us. So to be able to demystify a little of it for uh, folks who may not think they're interested in it does make a big difference. And once they understand basics and understand, oh, wait, this is not that hard. I can do this. And it's actually very interesting. It's very important for my patients and my patient care. We really are good at talking about our patients and the empathy that women tend to have towards patients is just a little different. It comes from a different angle. And speaking to members of Congress about our orthopedic issues is very powerful when it comes from someone who can give it a different perspective. And if we don't get anything through from this podcast, except that you are very important to advocacy, even though you might not think you are. So come and join us and learn about what advocacy is, and then you can make your own decision. But if you don't even know what it is, you can't know that you like it or you don't like it. So one of the things that we've been trying to do is to introduce advocacy to different groups. We did a webinar 
for the AUKUS, the Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons Women in Arthroplasty group. And it was terrific. We just went through the basics. It was a safe space so they could ask lots of questions and nobody felt like they were embarrassed or put on the spot. Because what happens is if you go in, the first thing you do is show up on Capitol Hill and you're sitting in the office of a senator or a member of Congress, you're very anxious and nervous and it's very hard to soak in the elements of it and what's necessary. But if you sit in a safe space and someone explains it to you and goes through it with you and you can ask questions and even practice without being under the gun like that, it makes a big difference. So tell us about your story. How did you get involved in this in the first place with political advocacy? I didn't take a traditional path to medical school. I worked in insurance first, and then I had thought initially when I was an undergraduate, I might want to be a lawyer. So I was always on the debate teams and everything in uh, high school and college. So I always had a little bit of an interest in it. And then when I got more involved with the academy as a leadership fellow, I went to my first National Orthopedic Leadership Conference. And you know me very well. I'm not shy. So I enjoyed going to Capitol Hill and understanding the issues. But it was very interesting to learn So that's really how you do it. You go and you watch others, you sit, you experience it, and then you understand the issues better and then you get better and better at it. That's how I got involved is I started out not knowing anything, got interested in it, made it my business to learn about it, and then just kept doing it. So your Myers-Briggs is a bolded, underlined, capitalized letter E. Oh, you bet. (laughs) What about our women and underrepresented minorities that happen to be, hey, I'm a little more shy, I'm a little more introverted, And they're thinking to themselves, I don't even know Claudette, but I bet she's made for this. What about me? I like to read about the policy and understand how it affects my patients. But wow, I don't know, just getting up there and talking to these members of Congress or aides of Congress, it just brings social anxiety out of me. And I know a lot of folks that feel that way. What are your recommendations for that? Well, we've got something for you because there's a legislative side of making laws and there's the regulatory side of making laws. So the legislative side is the members of Congress who are in the public eye. You're having a one-on-one conversation. The changes are real time. You talk to them in their offices. But then there's an equally important and powerful way to make laws, and that's through regulation. And those are done by agencies such as CMS and HHS and the EPA and whatever federal agencies exist. And those folks aren't elected. They're appointed. And it's a much more time delayed type of interaction. So you're not put on the spot. You don't need to be an extrovert. It is analysis of policy and regulatory changes and rules. And so if you are interested, but don't want to go and be on the radio or talk face to face with people, you can read the comment letters that come out of AOS and specialty societies and comment on rule changes and give your opinions on them and take your time and do what is more comfortable to you. So there is a way to contribute no matter what your personality type is. It's just a matter of understanding that those opportunities exist and that we want you at the table with us and to help us because there's things that people can contribute from all different angles. And many times when we meet with members of Congress, as you very well know, they are very socially fluid and can easily fill the vacuum. And what I've often seen is that even some of our shyest members, after several visits, start feeling comfortable, especially with the verbiage and the engagement, because these are professional social people. Members of Congress generally are, almost all of them. And they're used to helping or interacting with more introverted folks. That's really not a good excuse for not getting involved. Also, Doug, we're doctors. Our job is to interact with people, interact with patients every day. The big difference is the knowledge. 
it's very easy for me to go talk about a total knee with someone because I know it very well. It's less easy for me to talk about some economic policy that I don't understand. But if you sat down and taught it to me, I could talk about it. And that's exactly what's happening with our members. It's not a matter of personality, so to speak. It's a matter of understanding what we're talking about. And none of us want to go in somewhere and talk about something we don't understand. And that is really the difference between physicians and medical people and maybe potentially other people who are really happy talking about something they don't understand. And they'll say things that may or may not have evidence to back it up. But we like to have evidence. We like to understand what we're saying when we're talking about it and understand it on a more than just superficial level. So educating our members and having them understand the issues better so they're more comfortable is really the way to do this. As you know, we go up to Capitol Hill and we're talking to members of Congress. We have significant credibility. They want to hear from us. They know we are influencers in the community. They know that we know our subject matter well, especially when things are framed in terms of patient care and patient advocacy, where it's about the patients, not about us. They are very receptive to our message and such. However, I am sure with everything else in the world, there are times where being a woman or being an underrepresented minority, you may be in the middle of an interaction with a member of Congress where you're like, wow, the response I'm getting from them is more about me as a person or is different about me as a person than I would be if I was another white male surgeon coming in to do this. In your mind's eye, can you think back on any specific instances where you're interacting with a member of Congress, whether it's a female member of Congress or somebody else where you're like, wow, it's because of who you are, the interaction went in a very positive way and may have gone better than it would have gone if, say, I had been there. Sure, of course. We're talking about the strength of having diversity in the group of people you bring into a member of Congress's office. And it's refreshing to see different types of people come into your office to talk to you because that reflects our nation and the makeup of our nation and the makeup of our patients. And it's nice to have a representative group that comes in. There's all sorts of different people coming in because that says, wow, okay, this makes sense to me that these folks are taking care of patients because patients come in all shapes, sizes, colors, genders, and so should doctors. And we're working very hard to improve access to or understanding of or desire to be an orthopedic surgeon and people who might not think that's for them and saying, look, we're here. Come join us. We want you here if you're interested in us. And we want members of Congress to see that. And I think some of the folks that we've gone to see had an expectation that it was going to be just a bunch of old white guys coming in. And when we came in with a nice, diverse group of people, we're pleasantly surprised by that. And also because each person in that group gives a little different perspective on how they treat patients and what different kinds of legislation mean to them and their patients. And it's nice to hear those different angles when you're a member of Congress. And sometimes I think absolutely as well that y'all may have an advantage when it's talking about bone health, because even though I'm concerned about bone health, I do not run the risks of sustaining an osteoporotic or a fragility fracture as, say, my mom or my wife would. It's like prostate cancer. I could talk a lot more effectively about prostate cancer, having been somebody with prostate cancer, than perhaps you could just because of the my well, absolutely. Well, so when you're talking, if you're like bringing up bone health issues. Oh, sure. Or bring up bone health issues, bring up health disparities sure. uh, and how policy affects different segments of society unevenly. It's important to hear that from folks who know and see that in their own patients. And also 
there are conditions that are more likely to occur with certain genders, certain age groups, certain races, and being able to discuss those things and having folks that identify with those communities is powerful. I also know that you're very fluid, and I can take you on either side of the aisle from the most liberal to the most reactionary members of Congress, and you're equally versed at passing the message there. So how do you get your head around your specific political ideations and the things that you believe in your heart, and you're able to talk about these policy decisions with people who may be of a party or of a flair that you just would never agree with anything or almost anything that this person would say, yet you're in their office talking to them. How do you effectively give that message and look past your own personal issues? That's very common because our country is so polarized right now. What we need to remember, this is about orthopedic care and our patients. And there's no side of the aisle that falls on. Orthopedic care is for every single person that has blood pumping through their veins and muscles and bones and joints. So it has no color. It has no political party. Orthopedic care is for everyone. And if we remember that the slice of life that we're discussing with this member of Congress is about that and Everything else is everything else. And whatever you do outside of orthopedic advocacy is up to you. But this allows you to take care of your patients. It also allows you to pay your mortgage and live your life and keep your practice afloat and pay your employees and make sure that the hospital doesn't close. So it's extremely important for everyone. And you need to keep your eyes on the prize and say, that's why I'm here is I'm here for my profession, for my patients and for patient care. Whatever room I walk into, no matter what their other views are on other things, it has nothing to do with what I'm there to talk about. I'm there to talk about that issue, orthopedic care, our patients, and focusing on that is what helps you talk to members of Congress from any side of the aisle. And the second point I'll make is Know your audience. Be aware that you want to make sure that you talk to that person and you know that they're on some specific committee and that they're focusing more about money than they are about disparities, that you want to make sure that you say, okay, I understand the disparities part is important, but you also have to understand that for your committee, this is important. So being able to know your audience. Now, that's, again, advocacy 201, not advocacy 101. (laughs) But as you move forward and learn more, you can understand that certain people are more interested in other aspects or one aspect or another of the bills that you're discussing with them. And if you understand that, you can speak to them a little more easily. So suppose I'm still in my residency or fellowship. I'm just getting out. I've been in practice for a couple, two to five years or so. And this has sparked my interest. How do we get involved? It's very easy to get involved. First of all, get on the AOS website and look up advocacy and you can sign up for any of those advocacy action alerts and send messages to members of Congress. But joining the political action committee of the AOS is a great step because that connects you to all of the communications that we have. Getting involved with your state society is a great way to do that because state societies are extremely active and effective, not only at the federal level, but at the state level and trying to see how we can advocate for our patients within our state. And there's lots of different laws in different states. Uh, So getting involved in your state society, getting involved in the Orthopedic Political Action Committee, coming to the NOLC, if you can, and advocating or participating in the in-district or the virtual advocacy that is here to stay and learning how to do that. And what's great about the virtual advocacy is even if you're shy or don't want to participate, you can just listen and be there. You don't have to travel, learn and understand what it is and see if it's for you. 100% agree. That is so good about that. And we saw a lot of that in Orthopedic Advocacy Week. And as council chair, I was plugging into some different state societies and the members of Congress are pretty much the same. They may have different flares, different flavors, but at the end of the day, they respect our voice and they want to hear what we have to say. 
Absolutely. And the fact that we have so many talented advocates like you and other members of the AOS really does help us because we maintain these relationships and make sure that our voices are heard. And it's so important. So I've had the pleasure of talking with Dr. Claudette Lejam here at the AOS annual meeting in sunny San Diego. So for more information about political advocacy within the American Association of Orthopedic Surgeons, please go to aaos.org. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the AAOS Advocacy Podcast, part of the Bonebeat Orthopedic Podcast channel with production and sound design by Mission Based Media. For more information on this topic and other AAOS efforts to shape the future of musculoskeletal health care, please visit aaos.org forward slash the Bonebeat advocacy.